Okay, wait, wait, just a second. I got to plug this. Yow! It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 138 for April 12, 2009. I once read a book about passwords, and the author suggested that an astonishingly large number of people use the word password as their password. Uh, Some people try to obfuscate it a bit by typing P455W capital O-R-D, which sort of looks like password if you squint. Or maybe they write capital P, lowercase a, uppercase S, 5, W, uppercase O, uppercase R, lowercase D, thinking that's pretty clever. But an automated password cracking program will need just a few minutes to discover that. Secure passwords should have at least 16 characters. The characters should be random. And there should be special characters, numbers, perhaps even symbols in there. But the problem with something like, say, for example, capital J, right square bracket, lowercase f, lowercase p, uppercase v, lowercase f, lowercase i, uppercase e, lowercase y, left curly bracket, uppercase m, lowercase u, lowercase h, the number 7, uppercase n, lowercase k, lowercase z, uppercase o, equal sign, lowercase b, Well, the problem is obvious. Nobody can remember a monstrosity like that. And as a result, it will be written down and taped to the side of the monitor. More security-conscious folks might store the slip of paper in the top left drawer of their desk under a notepad. Creating a good password isn't difficult. But no password should be used for more than one function. That means each bank account should have its own password, each email account, each store. How many do you have? How do you keep them all straight? The best password, if you need just one, would be something that you find very easy to remember, but would be next to impossible for somebody else to guess, even a friend. For example, maybe you've always wanted to visit Egypt. Your best friend when you were growing up lived at 3361 Smith Road. And let's say your great aunt had a cat she called Stinky. These are three bits of information that could be combined to make a password, Cairo 3361 Stinky. And if you're concerned you'll forget it, you could even leave yourself a note. North Africa, Joe, Aunt Martha's pet. Now you'd be better off not writing yourself a note but obscure clues that are themselves tucked away are acceptably secure in most cases. The problem is that you should use the password, as I said, for only one system or service, so that means you need to create an entire series of passwords, and you have to find some way to remember them. You need a password for the office computer's primary login, for the various servers you might have to access at work, for your home computer, for bank websites, home, office, email accounts, online stores, and on and on and on. And then you have to remember whether Cairo 3361 Stinky belongs to the bank or to Amazon.com. There is a solution. 
KeePass is a free, open-source password manager that solves the problem of creating secure passwords, storing them securely, and making them available when you need them. It stores all of your passwords in one file, and the file is itself encrypted. Suddenly, everything seems much more manageable. Now you need to remember just one password. That would be the one that you need to unlock KeePass. And keep in mind, if you lose that one, you're really out of luck. KeePass creates the kind of password you will not be able to remember. Or if you want extreme security, you could choose a 256-bit hex key, such as 6FAE4C32A01366 well, it goes on and on and on and on and on. But if extreme security isn't important to you, you settle for something simple, like J2BDCVJ3. That's an eight-character password, and that's about as short as you want a password to be. With 52 characters, 26 uppercase and 26 lowercase in the English language, and 10 numbers, each of the eight positions can contain any of 62 values. Upper and lowercase is significant in a password. If you allow punctuation and special characters, you could increase that substantially. It makes it harder to remember, though. And if you allow high-bit characters, the accented A's, E's, I's, O's, U's, and Y's, and the other graphics characters that are in the high-bit range, then you'd have nearly 250 possibilities for each of the eight positions. Limiting the selection to just letters and numbers, this arrangement has 62 times 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 62 possible combinations. That adds up to something in excess of 218 trillion. Let's break that down. Assuming somebody wants to break your password by brute force, and that person had the ability to test 100 passwords per second, how long would it take him to figure it out? And you have to assume that someone would stumble onto the correct password after testing approximately half of the possible combinations. That's just the way it works. So how long would he have to spend looking for the right password? Well, you take that 218 trillion and divide it by two to get half the number. Then divide that by 100 because he's going to do 100 per second. Divide that by 60 to get minutes. Divide that by 60 to get hours. Divide that by 24 for days. And then divide that by 365.25 to get the number of years involved. That's close enough. So how long would it take someone to get your password at that rate? Uh, that would be 34,954 years to the closest year. So you've got a really great password. Now you just need keypass to store it. Because KeePass version 1 needs no installation procedure, all you need to do is copy it to your computer's hard drive or open it from a thumb drive. That means you can easily keep all of your passwords on the computer at the office, on your computer at home, and on a thumb drive in your pocket. The application does have an installer, though, for those who want to automate the process of creating a menu entry or an icon on the desktop. Version 2, which is now in beta and is the one I'm using, requires Microsoft's Net Framework. That makes setup a little more difficult, but you can still copy the installed files to a thumb drive and run them from there as long as Net Framework is available on the computer that you plan to run it on. So portability essentially remains the same. Additionally, KeePass works with Mono. That's a Net Framework equivalent for Linux and OS X. So you can run KeePass on just about any computer. 
I mentioned you can keep your passwords on a thumb drive, carry it around in your pocket. And what happens if you lose that thumb drive? Nothing. The password file is encrypted. In addition to that, the passwords are encrypted even when KeePass is running and unlocked. So if the computer should happen to crash while KeePass is unlocked, the resulting memory dump that's written to the disk will contain only the encrypted copy of the file. And so that you don't have to type one of those silly passwords with upper and lowercase letters and brackets every time you need to open a connection, you can tell KeePass what the window title is, that's the text that appears in the upper left corner of the window when it's open, and then define keystrokes that will fetch the appropriate username and password and paste them into the application. By default, the process pastes the username, a tab key, the password, and then enter. If you work with an application that requires more information, for example, a payroll system might have a company code in addition to the username and password, well, then you can define a special process that adds the extra information as needed. The password you use to secure KeePass absolutely must be memorable. If you forget it, all of your super-secret passwords will be unavailable, so choose that one with special care. Let's say you like music by the Beatles, and a couple of your favorites are We All Live in a Yellow Submarine and Glass Onion. Okay, here's a password you can make up from those two song titles. We All Live in a Glass Onion. Now, who would guess that? But... It's going to be easy for you to remember it. But here's a clue. Don't use that. Pick two other song titles and use that. And in addition to We All Live in a Glass Onion, maybe one word is all uppercase and the next word all lowercase. Just be sure it's not something that somebody would know about you. Make sure it's not, for example, the name of a parent, spouse, child, or pet. It's not your hometown, phone number, license number, a social security number. It's not your auto, make, or your auto model, even the one that you want to get someday when you have enough money. Nothing like that. Obscure but memorable. And long. That's the rule. And don't forget to back up your password file several times in many locations. If the data file on your computer is lost to a disk crash or some sort of system corruption, you do want to be able to recover it. I would give KeePass five cats. Quick, Easy, secure, and free. Pick any four options. KeePass has far more features than I've had time to talk about here, but if you have passwords and if you're concerned about forgetting them, losing them, or having them stolen, this is the application you not only want, but you need. For more information, visit the KeePass website, and you'll find a link to the KeePass website from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Komodo is a company that provides a free firewall. I used that firewall until it was improved so much that it became unusable. This week I received an offer from Komodo. The offer was for a free suite of test tools. I quote the offer. Do you know if your PC is well protected? TestMyPCSecurity.com can tell you. If you're connected to the Internet, it's like an open doorway for hackers to see your online activity. TestMyPCSecurity.com lets you know how secure your computer is. Well, that's exactly the kind of thing I find intriguing and often useful. Unfortunately, not this time. I have to warn right here that it is always a bad idea to accept any pop-up offer to scan your computer for security hazards. 
These are always, without question, always frauds that range from scans that find a lot of infections and then sell the sucker a worthless product to others that are worse. They encrypt the user's drive and won't unencrypt it until a ransom has been paid. Email offers are suspect, too. This one claimed to be from Komodo, and the email headers confirmed that it did indeed originate with Komodo. Further investigation confirmed that testmypcsecurity.com is owned by Komodo. So I visited the website, and the first thing I noticed was that the site must have been set up by an amateur who didn't know enough to set up the server so that testmypcsecurity.com would resolve to www.testmypcsecurity.com. Forget the www part, and you get a page not found error. That simply should never happen. The site told me I could download tests individually or in one zip to check your own security software. So I decided to download the zip file. And immediately, both AVG Antivirus and the Microsoft Windows Defender went nuts. They warned me about threats in the file I was downloading. Well, that wasn't really unexpected. After all, the tests are supposed to mimic malware. So I told the security applications to stand down and allow the intruder to pass. But I made this mental note. A professional website designer might have thought to warn people about that. Next, I scanned the zip file with AVG antivirus, expecting it to set up a number of alarms. And indeed, I wasn't disappointed. It told me that every single file had at least one hazard within, and some had more than one. Based on this response alone, I would have to conclude that my computer is pretty well protected. There were warnings about infections and warnings about spyware. And there were more warnings when I started extracting the tests from the 32 individual zip files. Some of the tests unzipped into their own directories. That's a good idea. Some did not. That's a bad idea. This was yet another oversight that I would hope a professional wouldn't make. But I didn't get very far into the extraction process. Nearly every file generated at least one dire warning from AVG, Microsoft Windows Defender, or both. And three of the applications I tried to unpack were deemed so potentially harmful that AVG wouldn't even allow me to extract them when I told it to allow it. And one even had an installer file. Yeah, I'm going to install a file that I've been told will test my system's security, even though it's from somebody I don't know. I contacted both Komodo and TestMyPCSecurity.com to express my concerns Paul Whitehead of Komodo dismissed my concern, saying, It's a false positive on the part of your AV software. The tests are harmless simulations of attack vectors and do not contain malicious code. Komodo is sponsor of the Test My Security project. The tests on Test My PC Security are indeed collected from various sources, but none contain harmful code. I could, of course, have turned off the protective software. But that is exactly what a social engineering attacker would request. It's something that many users, fortunately, wouldn't even know how to do. If Komodo's expectation is that unsophisticated users are going to be able to test their computers with these 32 applications, I think they're going to be disappointed. Incidentally, I don't doubt that the applications are safe to use. It's just that they're essentially impossible to use. If you're looking for a good, easy-to-run security test, try Shields Up from Steve Gibson at Gibson Research. You'll find a link to Shields Up from the TechBiter Worldwide website. 
The bottom line for TestMyPCSecurity.com, it's not worth the price even though it's free. The entire idea needs additional thought and planning along with better execution. It's an interesting and possibly useful idea, but as it stands, it doesn't come close to getting off the ground. At this point, I would usually give you information about a link to the company's website. Not this time. Moving along to short circuits. Quick, what is the nation's most photo-friendly city? According to the current popular photography magazine, it's Denver. Yeah, that surprised me, too. What's even more of a surprise is that little old Columbus, Ohio is 19th on the list. 19th, beating out Houston, Chicago, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and Phoenix, among others. This isn't really a technology story, but if you love your digital camera, you might want to check out some of the nation's 30 most photo-friendly locations. The magazine made selections based on the cost of visiting the city, the hours of sunshine... I suspect Columbus ranked kind of low there. Rain or snow, cleanliness of the air, camera stores, photo processors, parks, zoos, museums, galleries, the crime rate, and security. Columbus was the only Ohio city on the list. It scored just slightly lower than New York and right above San Diego. If you're from central Ohio, get out there and enjoy. If you're not from central Ohio, consider stopping here the next time you're on your way to one of the big traditional tourist destinations. Ohio is still considered a flyover state by the tourism industry, but Ohio has a Department of Travel and Tourism. I know, because I worked there in the 1970s when it was a bureau in the Department of Economic and Community Development. And if you'd like a link to the Department of Travel and Tourism, you'll find one, that's right, on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The Confricker story just won't go away, will it? Your computer is most likely not infected with the Confricker worm, although 9 to 15 million computers are. Assuming your copy of Windows is legal, assuming you install security updates as Microsoft makes them available, and assuming you have up-to-date protective software, your risk is essentially zero. Still, Confricker this week awakened, stretched, and started to see what it can do. On Thursday, Confricker began updating itself. The worm sets up a peer-to-peer network between infected machines. The updated software seems to be a bit more aggressive. The earlier versions blocked infected machines from visiting websites of antivirus providers. The antivirus providers then set up special sites that provided tools to remove Configure. The new application blocks access to many of those. Researchers say that Configure is scheduled to remove itself, at least most of itself, on May 3rd. Most, not all. Enough of a stub will remain for the machines to listen for future messages from the malware writers. The main question, though, has been, what is the intent of the worm writers? Antivirus companies say that as part of this current update process, it has been downloading the Walladex spam software, and this is probably how the writers hope to monetize their worm, use it to send spam. That's hardly a surprise. Walladeck is one of the best-known, but not-so-best-beloved, spam bots on the Internet. If you're looking for something frightening, here it is. Vandals cut four-inch-thick cables this week south of Silicon Valley and brought portions of three California counties to a virtual standstill. It took AT&T workers 17 hours to restore service after somebody removed a manhole cover, climbed it down into a cable vault, and cut the cables. 
By virtual standstill, here's what I mean. Nobody could make a phone call because regular telephones were out of service, along with cell phones. Banks either closed or had to write paper receipts. Gas stations could not authorize credit card payments, so they took cash only. In an emergency, if you couldn't find a passing police car, you'd have to run or drive to a fire station. According to the San Jose Mercury News, AT&T is offering a $100,000 reward for information that leads to the arrest and prosecution of the vandals. And this wasn't the work of just any old ordinary vandal. Somebody had to know where the cables were. Somebody needed the right tool to remove the manhole cover. But somebody did know where the cables were, and somebody did have access to the right tools. The scary part is that just a few well-placed cable cuts or worse, could do the same thing to New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, or Washington, and possibly with results lasting more than 17 hours. If you'd like the full story, check out the Mercury News website, and you'll find a link there from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Microsoft has lost a patent infringement case and has been ordered to pay anti-piracy software publisher Unilock $388 million. Microsoft says it will appeal the verdict. The trial has been working its way through the federal court in Rhode Island for six years. A jury agreed with Unilock that Microsoft infringed the company's patent on software that discourages piracy by creating a unique ID code when applications are installed. The suit was filed in 2003, and it alleged that Microsoft used Unilock's technologies for Windows XP and also for Office 2003. Pre-trial negotiations continued until March. That's when the trial itself finally got underway. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.